Mark chapter 4. Um, it's a fairly long chapter, and uh, a lot of Mark chapter 4, you know, we may have heard many, many times. So this parable about the seed is probably one that most people, if you've grown up in a church, you've heard that over and over again. Uh, there's also parables in this chapter about a farmer who plants seed and then kind of just leaves it, and lo and behold, it actually grows. And there's a parable in this chapter about mustard seed, uh, which is incredibly tiny, and yet from that tiny seed, great things are produced. Um, I think all of those, those three parables, as I was uh, thinking and studying the last couple of weeks, I think they all really fit together. Um, and hopefully I can make some sense of that this morning. As Canadians, you know, we speak of religious freedom as a core value of our country. And I would say over the last few weeks, that core value has been emphasized. We've talked a lot about it. If you've listened to the radio, uh, CBC, or if you've watched the news, um, CBC I find interesting. Uh, at times I find them enlightening, and at times I find the CBC a bit troubling. Um, I would say CBC does preach. They would never use that term, but I feel they, they do preach a liberal, secular, um, social agenda, if I can put it that way. Uh, but they also do provide a platform for what I would call honest debate within our country. And on Sunday afternoons on CBC, they always have this, it's a phone-in radio show called Cross Country Checkup. Uh, some of you may occasionally listen to it. Um, usually that phone-in show is based on something that is very current within Canadian uh, politics or within the country. And so a few weeks ago, they were really focused on this conversation about religious freedom within Canada. After that, um, can only be described as a senseless attack on people within a mosque in Quebec. And in that talk show, in that phone-in show, um, a woman phoned in and, first of all, embraced the fact that we are that kind of a country, where we do value religious freedom. But she was, I would say, a bit concerned because she did not want that religious freedom to keep us from actually critiquing or criticizing religious beliefs, especially if we find them to be, let's say, unfair, unjust, uh, that she wanted us to still have the freedom to sort of speak our mind, even in matters of faith, without being branded very quickly as being intolerant. Uh, and I, I would say I agree with her. We need to have the freedom to have those discussions. It's interesting that her personal view was that ideally, for the better of society, it would be good for us to simply do away with faith and religion altogether. So let's get rid of that. She called those things belief in the imaginary. 
And she said, we need to leave that. Ideally, that would be best for our country, and then we could just get on with solving the issues and the problems of the day. And we would solve those through human reason, through research, through education. Um, and I found myself thinking, it's an interesting perception. Interesting perception of life, I think, an interesting perception of even faith itself. It almost sounded when she talked that faith actually creates problems for us as a society when I actually believe that the Christian faith actually does much to actually limit problems of society, that the Christian faith brings things into our society, into our world, into our culture that are so beneficial for the country as a whole. And as I thought about this, I, I realized that there are people very willing to put their faith in man alone. They will trust human reason, human intellect, science, research that somehow We'll figure it out. And then there are those who are also quite willing to put their faith in that which is invisible, that which is unseen. And as I thought about that, I, I thought this is not unique to this time in history, that that challenge of faith to believe or to reject has always been part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Parables were a very favorite, perhaps the favorite teaching tool of Jesus. When he came to talk about the kingdom of God in which we as a church live, he often used stories, illustrations, in order to, I think, have people consider something other than what they were already exposed to. Some parables were fairly easy to understand. You could read them and say, okay, I understand what you're saying. But many of Jesus' parables, his audience would have found a bit puzzling. Even the disciples would often ask Jesus after he had told a parable, off to the side they would say, Jesus, what did that, what did that mean? What are you talking about? And so I'm sure that in the crowds that always gathered to listen to Jesus, there would have been many people who would have gone home, perhaps scratching their heads, asking each other, what was he talking about? What did that parable mean? There were many in the crowd, and this is kind of a phrase that Jesus uses, who saw without seeing and who heard without hearing, or heard without understanding. And I find that a very interesting comment. Um, that the responses to Jesus, even the time when he walked on this earth, there was a wide range, likely, in how people took in what Jesus spoke that they probably range from rejection, and I think there's a slide for this, Jeff, and hostility, 
Probably some thought, yeah, whatever. Some were likely curious about what Jesus was talking about. Some were likely actually open. And some chose to believe and to follow. And I think that's true when Jesus, Son of God, was teaching. It was certainly true in the days of the early church when the apostles were preaching the message of the cross of Christ. And it's certainly true today in a generation, um, I think really an entire generation is growing up in an increasingly secular, humanistic culture where faith, God, Jesus are seldom, if ever, in the conversation. I'm going to play a little alpha clip. Uh, this was, I think we played it this last Thursday. It's various people simply responding to the question of who do you think Jesus is? And the second question is, do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? I'm going to ask you to play that, Jeff, if it's there. This is the most essential part of any alpha. Okay, it allows everyone to share their own opinions on the ideas presented. Is that the only alpha clip there? Okay, we, we will not play that clip. But the conversation, we're simply asking people on the street. And it's very interesting that they go from complete rejection of Jesus as other than simply a man, to those who believe Jesus was the Son of God, Savior of the world. And the question about do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, some who 100% embrace that as true, and others who call it absurd. And all the people that they talk to seem like reasonable people. And yet the response is so different. Paul encountered this. I think this comes from the 17th chapter of Acts. And I've, although there's a lot that I'm going to read, there's a lot that I sort of took out. You may want to read the whole thing on your own sometime. It was Paul walking through, I think it's the great city of Athens, and noticing to his um, it bothered him, I'll put it that way, the number of shrines that he saw that were made to various gods, and that troubled him. But he did notice that in that town they had a statue, a shrine, on which was inscribed to an unknown god. And so he has this conversation he, Paul, also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, hmm, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city 
And he said, come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. Now, I find that little story quite amazing. First of all, Paul has the ears of the most influential, highly intelligent people in that society. And they say, you need to come before, I assume it's the Council of Athens. Tell us, tell them what you've just told us. And I think it's interesting when I thought about that. Very often, the religious leaders brought Jesus before government officials hoping that government officials would punish him, put him in jail, stop him from talking. And here it's the philosophers of the day saying, how about if you come and simply share this news before the council? You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens... I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. One of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing. That's very interesting. The very fact that they have a shrine to an unknown God, Paul says, you know what, you may be already open to considering this God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus Christ. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. I want you to just consider the response to that truly what is a gospel message. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead... Some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And I thought, you know, these were all likely well-educated, highly intelligent people. They all heard exactly the same message, but with very different responses. 
Some literally scoffed at Paul. Some were willing to consider it, and others chose to believe and to follow. And I wonder about that then, and I kind of wonder about it now. Why is that? Why such a different response from the hearts of different people? I think in matters of faith, I would say I see two variables at work in our lives all the time. And one is the concept of faith itself. When Paul was speaking to this council, he was not able to sort of point them to a physical God and say, well, here, look, here he is. So those who were listening had to have a heart and a mind open to a reality they could not see. And as I thought about that, I thought about this person who would have called into the CBC and say, you know what, you're believing in the imaginary. The other variable besides this openness to what I'm simply going to call faith, The other variable that is always at play, I believe, is our heart. And I think the two within us as Christian people are inseparable. That an openness to accept faith, things we cannot see, can actually move and inform our heart. And our heart can serve to move and inform and strengthen our faith. And these two variables, I think, even in our own lives, are never static. And so as we consider this parable, we cannot simply assume that we are the fertile soil that Jesus is talking about simply because we accepted the message and identify with the church. This parable is not written solely for those who are hearing the message for the first time. I think there's certainly application there that when people hear the message for the first time, you have that range of response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think for us who are, for the most part, those of us who truly do identify with this faith, identify with the church, we need to read this parable by looking inward and being willing to examine our own heart, being willing to examine our own faith. In this parable, the seed, the message, the good news, the story of Jesus Christ is the constant. It doesn't change. When it talks about the soil or the seed that landed on rocky soil, on thorny soil, on fertile ground, it was the same seed every time. The seed was never defective. 
So every soil received the same seed. Every person received the same message. The variable that is subject to change in this parable and in life is the condition of our own heart before God. And even the condition of our heart before God does not simply stay the same. My own heart has not and is not always a warm, fertile place. Other stuff can get in the way. And my faith has not always been strong. That weeds have at times had their way with my heart. And if they have a way with my heart, they have a way with my faith. Even fertile soil does not bear fruit without effort. I think sometimes about ground that is simply incredibly fertile in southern Manitoba, has lots of it. It can either produce fruit or it can produce weeds. Something's going to grow in it because it's fertile. Even fertile soil needs to be watered, it needs to be cultivated, it needs to be weeded. And so too our own hearts before God, my own heart before God, they need to be enriched by what I'll call a healthy mix of humility, of honesty before God, confession before God, thanksgiving, prayer, Love for one another. Or spiritual life and spiritual vitality can quite literally be choked out of us. And I can become sidetracked by me, my interests, and this parable says the worries that come when we focus on stuff we can see. Or things we want to have. I think a little bit, well, quite often about Creekside Church and the number of young families. Uh, I think life for young families is increasingly hectic. I think it's increasingly demanding, increasingly stressful. Some of it, I would say, is life in 2017. But some of it at times is about priorities. So I would say as moms and dads with kids, it is a season of life where moms and dads need to be intentional about what's important in their home and what's important in their family. That if you don't really intentionally build fertile soil within your home, within your own life, life will tend to have its way with you. And gradually your faith and the soil of your hearts will begin to harden. If you ask me if spiritual things get easier as you get older, 
and I'm identifying with the older. Because I'm older and maybe I have a bit more free time and fewer direct responsibilities within, let's say, a family. I would say that life itself can become easier. But free time, let's say, can very quickly simply become me time. And I begin to wake up every morning more concerned about my comfort than I am about my character. And I believe as I read this parable about fertile soil, soil that bears fruit, that it is our character that bears evidence to whether God, through his spirit, is changing my life. So I would say at the time of life where I am and, and Eva, it's a great time to simply surrender life to God. To pour time, to pour energy into things that last. To seek to pour it into people, pour it into serving and volunteering, pour it into the church. And it's interesting when I say pour it into the church, it actually means pouring it into people, pouring it into serving and volunteering. This parable talks about what a soft heart and a deeply rooted faith look like. The fertile soil refers to those who hear the message and accept it. But if you read that parable, that is actually very little different from either the rocky ground or the thorny ground, who actually received the message and to some extent accepted it followed by a big but. And then stuff happened. Life became difficult. Life had challenges. People said, okay, I'm out. Or people began to get so wrapped up in the things that this world can provide that weeds choked the life out of their spiritual life, and they became more concerned with those things that they can see and acquire than they are to serving Almighty God. So both the rocky and thorny soil heard and even accepted. What differentiates the fertile soil from the other two is that it produces fruit. Something happens in the life of a Christian who is willing to put time and effort into cultivating the soil of their heart. And I ask myself, is my own life still in the process of being transformed for the good of others and for the glory of God? Do I still embrace the cross, the resurrection, and the truth of eternity? Say, I say to God, help me cultivate the soil of my own heart. This parable later on in chapter 4, and I'm only going to speak for a few minutes on these two, is followed by two what I call very encouraging parables. And I think the fact that they follow this one about the seed and the soil is so appropriate. 
I believe that if we seek to be people, if we seek to be a church with a soft heart towards God, with a soft heart toward others, God will take care of everything else. God will literally take care of everything else. The farmer, it says in the one parable, sows the seed. And I think uh, it depends what version. It's kind of like he sows the seed and then goes away and does other things. My guess is he may also care for it. But the message of that parable that it is God that actually breathes life into that seed. And in the mustard seed, even from a tiny seed, God will mysteriously produce something amazing in the lives of people willing to follow him, and God will build something amazing within his church. To me, it's the assurance of those two short parables. It's like God saying, Doug, Give time, thought, and effort to cultivating your heart towards God. Cultivating your faith. And God's saying, I will produce amazing things in your life and in the life of the church. So I say, cultivate a soft heart in me, O God, and a soft heart toward others. Cultivate in me, God, a faith with deep roots. A faith that embraces trials as opportunities to build endurance and perseverance. Cultivate in me, God, a desire to honor you, to praise you, to give thanks to you, for you are great and you are worthy to be praised. If we're willing to do that, God will superintend the growth. In a conversation that Paul had, I forget what church it was, where there were people who were eager to follow after certain men. Some say, well, I follow Apollos. Some say, well, I follow this person. And Paul says this to the church. It's not important who does the planning. It's not important who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed to grow. And he says, you are God's field. You are God's building. And as I read these parables, I believe that God is able to build something lasting something fruitful, and something beautiful in your life for you, for the benefit of the church, and for God's own glory. I still think that this parable calls us to share the gospel. I think about that quite often about, okay, so if this parable is also about speaking out the truth of the gospel, 
how can I do that better? How can I do that more often? And so it's something that I believe God is speaking to me about even within Lake Country. How do we, how do we let people know the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And uh, I pray that God would give us conversations with people around us. That uh, people would find that there are those who occasionally interrupt their life and invite them to consider the reality of God. But for this morning, generally when we talk to the church, we talk to people who already would identify with the gospel and say, well, Doug, we're already in. So then I think we need to think about this parable about looking at our own life and about what God wants to do within us as his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the truth that is revealed in your word. Uh, Father, I pray that we would read this word and have it examine our own hearts and our own minds and our own life. Uh, Father, help me help us as a church to truly cultivate a heart and a faith that is warm, open, soft towards you. You are such a good and gracious God. So, Father, build in us as your church here in Creekside people who would develop deep roots, people whose faith would be unwavering. In whatever situation life may bring to us, that we would still bring honor and glory to you. Speak to us, God, remind us of the truth of eternity, of that which lies ahead. Our eyes, God, my eyes are so capable of just seeing and being limited by things around me. God, would you point our hearts to the truth of that which lies ahead for those who love you and serve you and are called by your name. Pray this in Jesus' name with thankful heart. Amen.